This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, and welcome back to the Bunker Daily. This month saw the release of the Uber Papers, a vast trove of 124,000 emails, text messages, and internal comms, which revealed the internal workings of the disruptive ride-hailing app during its most aggressive period of expansion from 2013 to 2017. What was in the Uber leaks? How out of control are the world's biggest companies? And what lessons can we learn from them about restraining the tech companies which frequently seem to operate outside of the law? Joining me in the bunker to discuss all this is Dr. Jimenez Valdez, a lecturer at the Department of International Politics at City University of London. Dr. Valdez studies the organisation of capital and labour and her research focuses on what business and workers want and how do they get that. Thank you for joining us in the bunker, Dr. Valdez. Thank you for the invitation. So firstly, what are the Uber leaks? Yeah, so actually I was thinking about uh, the Uber files in relation to the Facebook files or the Facebook leaks. I don't know if you remember about this, but it wasn't a long time ago that uh, someone from Facebook, Frances Hogan, uh, talked to a journalist at the Wall Street Journal and also gave this journalist um, documents from Facebook. And so the same has happened here. Um, A former employee of Uber, uh, Mark McGann, who was a lobbyist, he worked for Uber between 2014 and 2016. He gave a journalist from The Guardian many, many thousands of company files that include emails, messages, and basically internal documents of the company that show how the company worked. And in terms of the material that was in there, was this a case of piecing together things which were already known or suspected, or was it really a genuine revelation? I think, I mean, I think most of the things we knew but there is an effect, I believe, of, of seeing it all together uh, on the one hand and on the other hand, seeing evidence for this, right? So we knew things, but now we know that Uber knew about this as well. Like these are not mistakes. Again, going back to the general uh, other tech companies, it usually happens that when something bad happens, the CEOs of, the, of tech companies, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, apologize, right? So we made a mistake. We didn't know this. We apologize. We, we were going to do better. What these leaks show is that the company was very much aware, was very much planning a specific strategy uh, that is not uh, a very nice strategy to see in documents. And what were the most significant details in there from your reading of the leaks and what surprised you the most? I would say three things. I think there is uh, the utter disregard for the law. First, um, I think the connections to political power. Second, and, and third, also this very little value that they attach to drivers, right? That they are, we can see in the documents that they are not even named as drivers, but actually as supply. And so in terms of of the disregard for the law, they they knew that they were breaking the law. They made jokes about it, calling themselves pirates, saying that they were um, fucking illegal. Uh, And so it's very clear that they knew they were breaking the law and they really didn't care. In terms of connections to political power, the documents prove meetings with everyone that matters in politics in the US and and in Europe. So from Emmanuel Macron to Joe Biden to um, leadership in Germany. So they've met with everyone. 
And then this very little value attached to drivers. I think I would mention, I mean, we can talk more about this, but I would say two things. First, the, the clear deception that happened with drivers that joined, uh, they started working for a company that paid, I don't know, a thousand and six months later it paid 500 and six more months and it paid 200, right? So imagine you're starting a job, you agree a salary of 1000 and suddenly your, your salary is less and less as months go by. And then the second thing that the documents also show, allegedly the documents show that in a moment they sent drivers to confront taxi drivers in a protest in France. So Uber would arrive to cities, taxi drivers would protest, taxi unions would protest, and these protests would sometimes turn violent. They were certainly very violent in, in many countries. Uh, and what the documents show is that the CEO of Uber at the time, Travis Kalanick, uh, was ready to send Uber drivers to confront taxi drivers. And he, when he was warned about the possibility of violence, he said that violence guaranteed success, right? So he was willing to put drivers at risk uh, just because it would be good for the company. You should say, in an official statement, Uber said that, quote, we've moved on from an era of confrontation to one of collaboration, demonstrating a willingness to come to the table and find common ground with former opponents, including labor unions and taxi companies. How would you sum up the company's response to all this? Well, I mean, I think that's that's a good response. I think they have made an effort to to move away from from that original time. Uh, I think getting rid of of that CEO was a, a really smart move. That CEO was particularly aggressive. Yeah, he he he, he didn't have very nice manners, and so uh, this is not something unusual in the tech world. I have to say, but this one seemed to be particularly not doing great in camera. So I think the company has done well in, in moving away from not only the CEO, but the leadership. This is something they have also said. But I think some of the more, I would say, structural conditions of the company or the way it's in, in conflict with the law or the way it's in conflict with drivers uh, hasn't changed much, right? Uh, it's, it's enormous power for lobby or it's enormous investments in lobby have also not changed. So some things have changed and some things haven't, I would say. You've talked in your research more broadly about how the company's underlying principle is what you term contentious compliance. Can you unpack that phrase a bit, explain what you mean by it? Yeah, so what I mean is that they are always in conflict with the law. So what we see in, in Uber, and, and these, these leaks are also useful in showing that, is the company entered most countries disregarding the law, either breaking the law openly or kind of in a gray area that no one knew how to proceed. But afterwards, they go to a second stage where they adapt to, to existing legislation or to existing regulation and, and they comply with the law. And they, they do that in order to, to enter the market and to start providing their service because as they provide their service, they, they start becoming relevant and even essential for our lives, right? So suddenly you, you feel like you can't live without your Uber that has made your life much easier and much more comfortable. So they adapt minimally to the law. But what I say is that they are always in conflict. So they only adapt to be able to provide their service, but they will continue pushing for the regulation. And we see that in, in that, for example, they, they push towards other forms of their service. So an example is Uber pool, that is the possibility of taking an Uber with strangers, basically. So I, I take an Uber and then three blocks later, someone that I don't know also comes on the same Uber because we're all going through, uh, we're all going in the same direction, right? So this is a, a specific type of service that Uber has that it's not provided in every town or in every city, in every country, because it depends on regulations. It's also fighting regulations in terms of, of how to classify workers 
Uber wants them to be independent contractors, but in many cases, in the UK, for example, they need to be classified as workers. Um, and so it's, it's always in, in conflict with the law, right? So it only adapts minimally, but, but it continues to fight regulations. When we look at what went wrong at a company like Uber or what they were, we say these grey areas they're operating in, how much of it do you think was attributable to those specific individuals who are running the company? And how much of it was just baked into the Uber model structurally? Yeah, I think, um, well, that, that's the thing, right? So I think getting rid of, of, of Kalanik was, was helpful, but I was also thinking about this, this Uber leaks in terms of how much Uber has become kind of this, this, this tag for everything that is wrong. But the truth is that uh, here in London, for example, we also have Bolt. We also have free. We have other companies that are providing basically the same service, right? So it's it's not only Uber, but it's actually these these tech companies uh, that are supposed to provide very cheap services, so that consumers are happy. But that to to have consumers happy, to have consumers uh, actually being able to afford these services, well, they they have workers in very um, poor conditions. Do you think? Among consumers, I mean, in, if we look at an industry, say, like the fashion or garment industry, there's a much stronger sense of awareness now amongst consumers that, you know, if a product is incredibly cheap, then corners have been cut and sacrifices have been made to get it to that price point. And, you know, we see that across sort of fast fashion and, you know, big sort of high street brands now. Do you think consumers have made that link in terms of tech and service industries yet? I don't think they have, honestly. And I don't think they have, and I think this matters a lot. So, you know, consumers are really important in terms of providing, of being a source of power for these companies, Uber and, and, and other companies like, like this, that you have your, your app in your phone, they are able to reach you without mediation, right? So I can get a message in my phone from Uber saying there is a new, uh, so this has happened, right? In, in New York, for example, when they were going to be regulated, they had a uh, tab that said, you know, if we are regulated, this is what you're going to see. And, and basically there were no cars or longer waiting times. And so the, the, the love of consumers for these companies is used by these companies to put pressure on governments, right? So what I was saying before about how it becomes relevant and even essential, it, it, it is then translated into political power and into pressure for governments. And people do not seem to, to care about the fact that that, that cheap service means that someone is not getting a decent salary. And, and maybe we shouldn't be able to afford a trip. I mean, it shouldn't be affordable, right? So if, if it means that someone is not getting enough money to live, then it sounds like it's, it's, it's not, that's not the price it should have. And maybe it shouldn't be affordable for all of us to take an Uber anytime we want to. And is there any pressure coming from, say, either consumer groups or the drivers banding together in any way? Is anyone actually looking to raise that awareness? Well, I think unions are. So I was I was looking at the, the latest protest by, by unions here in London, well, in the UK, actually, um, because they are organised them in, in many cities, and they're saying they are asking drivers to turn off the app, and they're asking us consumers to not, to not use the apps during those times, right? So the, I think there is a fight between, so the company is looking to use consumers to pressure governments, but drivers are also trying to, to make consumers aware of, of, of their role, right? And to, and to have their support. It's unclear if, if they can achieve that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. One thing which really surprised me reading through the papers was the length that government figures, um, you know, Emmanuel Macron's name was in there, George Osborne in this country, the length that these politicians had gone to in order to court Uber. What I couldn't work out was what made them so attractive to politicians, because, you know, it's not a particularly radical, it's essentially, it's, it's a, a ride hire industry, you know, it's not a radical innovation. It's not something that wasn't there beforehand. What was the lure for politicians? Because they seem to have a really direct line to these people. I think, I mean, I understand what you're saying that it doesn't seem that innovative, but I think that the, the response is simple. And it really is that we think that all these things are new and cool. And we can see it, I mean, we can see it across country because it's not, it not, it's not, it wasn't only in France or it wasn't only in the U.S., People and politicians and common people, right? Politicians and consumers think that this is so cool that it just deserves a, a, deserve to be treated differently. And I think one astonishing thing is, is just how we're willing to, to let them break the law, right? So I was thinking about this. So I cycle in London and I think there are too many cars in London. And I think there are too many cars in London because I'm sure the car industry has powerful lobby interests, such as the taxi industry, right? Because uh, they say the taxi industry was concentrated and so Uber is innovative and so it needs to break the law to enter. And so I'm against lots of cars in London, but this doesn't justify me scratching cars or yelling at car drivers, right? And I think I'm right. I think this is, this is wrong, but we can't just break the law when we are in disagreement. And instead for these companies, that's allowed because they are supposed to bring something new. I was also surprised about to hear the response from politicians saying that it was great, it was okay to meet with them, that this is something normal. When it's not normal to, I mean, of course, politicians should talk to everyone, but they don't talk to everyone, right? They didn't meet with with union representatives. They didn't meet with representatives from consumer groups, right? So this idea that politicians should listen to everyone. That's a great idea, but that's not what happens in reality. I don't think Emmanuel Macron met with everyone. I think he met with Uber, uh, the, the leadership of, of this company, right? I mean, there were some countries where Uber's launch didn't work and mm-hmm. they ran into quite serious resistance. I mean, you mentioned France there as an example of where, you know, demonstrations got very heated. There was a very organised pushback from the extant taxi industry. What lessons can be learned from those countries about pushing back on these new sort of tech companies? Yeah, so I think, I mean, one country in particular where they have had a a really hard time is Germany. And I think one explanation for that is that they were stopped from the beginning. So they never had a chance to even start working. So they, they, they only worked briefly as the service, as the service that, that it is now, right? Yeah, but very quickly they were banned. And when they came back, they had to adapt to regulations and the, the existing regulations make them work as a taxi in a way. And so they don't have a competitive advantage. The thing is, once you let them in and they start providing their service, they, they do attract a lot of people and, and people that find just because it's cheaper, right? And, and so we can afford, we can seemingly afford a trip anytime. And so once they start working, it's really hard to, to kind of, regulate or get rid of them. In the case of France and in others, I mean, in most cases, there was organized protest from taxis. 
but you really need you really need to stop them from the beginning or regulate them from the beginning because once I think they, they start working and offering their service, the, the innovation kind of follows and, and, and people just become more and more, I guess, reliant on, on, on these services. And what state is Uber in now? I mean, it's it's certainly valuable, but is it profitable or sustainable yet? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's not steadily profitable yet. So uh, it has had some months of, of profitability, but not steadily. And there is a discussion about where that money is coming from. And I think there is a question, a broader question about sustainability, right? So the innovation that these companies uh, propose, and I think is great, uh, I think it's much, you know, I, I am very happy to be able to to get a car just using my phone. It comes also with, with this bad conditions for workers, right? So this economy is actually also known as the servant economy, this idea that we can all have a servant when in actual, and we, we actually can't have a servant and there's also a question of whether we, we should. And so I think the question of sustainability has to do with the fact that the, the, the fact that we pay little money for, for the right home or little money to have our food delivered doesn't mean that this comes cheap, right? And so in, in the Uber leaks, actually, there is this interview to this driver that says that in the end he was on, on food stamps or in the equivalent of, of that in the UK. So this means that then we are pay, we taxpayers are paying for the salary of Uber workers, right? Because these people do not have access to, to pension, they don't have retirement, they don't have sick pay, um, but these people still get sick. These people will still retire. So who is going to pay for that, right? So I think there's a question of sustainability. If these are the jobs that the economy is creating, well, who is going to pay for who is going to pay for the needs of of these people, right? And this is not a lefty thing to say. It's really a, a a matter of looking at how people are living. I don't think it's it would benefit all of us as a society that more and more people are poor, uh, or more and more people are in the streets. The, the truth is that the state is paying for for those benefits that companies are not giving to workers. And as we said, the company is making the right noises now about being chastened by the experience of these Uber leaks, you know, new mindsets being in place. They've got new leadership. Broadly, what do you see as their future? I think the company is going to expand. It's expanding. So it's it's growing across countries. It's also leaving some countries where it hasn't been able to 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 be the the lead, I guess, because the competition is fierce also. But if you open the app, for example, here uh, in London, it, on, it offers, so of course, taking a car, it offers uh, food, but it also offers public transportation, for example. So you could use Uber to see what bus or what, um, what tube line to take. So this means that they're trying to expand to other things, right? And they want people to spend more time uh, in the app and they will find ways to monetize the, the, that later, right? So this is a strategy of just providing more services and seeing what we do, what they do with people later on. Um, so I see expansion. I also see more lawsuits. They, they are still negotiating things. So here, for example, here in the UK, they have to accept drivers as workers, but there are still negotiations regarding waiting time. So what counts as work and what doesn't. Basically, Uber wants Uber works because a car arrives immediately, but for that they need to have cars kind of waiting, and drivers are not paid for those waiting times. So there are a lot of things to adjust there. And so, for example, they have accepted that legislation here, but in California they have fought legislation to treat drivers as workers, right? So in some cases they are saying yes, we we're okay with this. In some cases they are they are fighting that. So they have a lot of lawsuits that are going to continue and a lot of negotiation with drivers. 
that I think are unionizing more and more. Dr. Valdez, thank you for joining us in the bunker. Thank you so much. Listeners, just a reminder that as an independent operation, The Bunker is kept on air by the direct support of people like you. If you're enjoying the shows we produce throughout the week, please look us up on Patreon, where you can help to keep us going for as little as £2 per month. The money you pledge goes directly to making the shows and also supports us developing new series like Doomsday Watch and Origin Story, both of which are available to listen to right now. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast and you'll get your favourite shows early and without ads. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bunker Daily was presented by Justin Quirk. The producers were Yelena Sofronievich, Jacob Archbold and Alex Reese. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>